You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. And so I bring all that up to say, what do we do when tough issues are brought to our attention? In fact, today's message, I've entitled it, Don't Skirt Around the Issue. Don't skirt around the issue. And and if you think about what that means, the essence of this concept of skirting around the issue is the concept that sometimes things are so tough that it seems like, you know, it'd be easier just to avoid the conversation than to actually have to address the situation. Like you guys have seen this, it's been a part of your life. Some of you during the holidays, you, you come together with other family members, and there's some things that a conversation may come up, and you're just kind of like, ah, you're kind of skirting around the issue, like, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, and you know, let's change the subject, because you know that some things are difficult. Some things are extremely tough to talk about. Some things are extremely difficult to handle, and I think a lot of times, the number one reason why we skirt around certain issues in our culture is because at the root of it, there's a part of us that feels like we really can't change anything. I want to make sure you hear that. Now, I'm going to give you a little heads up. that This, this message is going to start out pretty deep, and it's going to end on a much lighter note. But it's one of those things that a lot of times there's some difficult situations that we have to address. And a lot of times the reason why we don't address those issues is because in your deepest parts of you, if you were to be brutally honest, you don't think you could really change anything about it anyway. You know, when we think about difficult issues, I think about Psalms. Psalms chapter 46, these are not going to be on the screen, but something I had just as a part of the introduction. Very familiar verse, it says, God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters rise and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And we will quote a a psalm like this, and we will talk about how we're not going to fear things, but at the same time, we won't address them either. And I want you to understand that that psalm is really, really amazing because if you were to look and break down that psalm, what it's talking about is natural disasters that you can't predict, nor can you stop. And I think that if we were to be brutally honest this morning, a lot of the major issues that are in people's lives that we have a tendency to skirt around the issue are things that really they had no control over. You want to know why we run to these children? It's because this is not what they chose. And we believe that we love all of them. You say, well, what about the situation? Should we know a little bit more about the situation? I think if you need to know more about the situation, you're probably asking the wrong questions. In fact, I'm going to show you in God's Word exactly what God's calling us to do to not skirt around the issues. But I want you to understand that there are natural things that take place in life that can cause damage, can cause struggles, can cause issues. And I think it's important that that God's church, and you are his church, rise up. And rather than avoiding the issue, rather than trying to avoid it because it's difficult, avoid it because you think you might not be able to make a difference, that we actually come together and start addressing some of these issues so that we can move forward and let people know exactly what it means when we say God is our refuge and strength 
a very present concept of our life in times of trouble. Well, with that being said, let's talk about the Christmas tree for a minute. Talking about skirting around the issue. Talking about the tree that you're going to have around your house that we gave you last week. You know, this aspect of skirting around the issue and with the aspect of different things happening that happen naturally is actually a very big part of the Christmas story. See, if you remember last week, you'll remember that in the 1600s, there was this Protestant named Martin Luther. And on his way home, he had this message he was working on in the Christmas season. You've heard of Martin Luther, of nailing these 99 theses on the door of the church. But this same Martin Luther is the guy that most people would say is where the lights on a Christmas tree came from. And what happened was he was on his way home. He was thinking about this message he was working on for the Christmas season. He was looking at the stars in the sky, and he wanted to give this sort of a persona to his family. So he went home, and on this tree, his German descent, this paradise tree, this Christmas tree, where they would have all these bows and all these fruits and all these different presents on the tree. They didn't put the presents under the tree. you got to realize that back in the day, you didn't have... You know, these big, huge, like, hey, Xbox Fives. Hey, I've got a new 50-inch plasma TV or LED or whatever. Like, gifts were very small, a lot of times homemade, simple stuff. And they would put the presents, actually attach them to the tree. That's the reason why some of your Christmas carols, when you hear them and sing them, it talks about the presents on the tree. It doesn't say under the tree. And a lot of times the biggest present that was a part of the tree was some of the edible things that were on the tree, the goodies, the nuts and the berries and the apples and the different concepts they put on the tree. But he decided to take candles. And with each bow, he attached a candle and lit the candle. And hence, for the first time, Christmas trees became lit. Well, now we look at it along with a lot of things that we used to do back then. And you're going, what an idiot. So let me make sure I understand this. You're going to go chop down a tree, and as it starts to dry out, you're going to put a flame on it. Great theologian, terrible common sense guy, right? Because we look and go, well, you know what? I bet there end up being some natural issues that took place, and you are correct. There were natural issues that started to take place when lighting of the Christmas tree became a big deal. And because of these natural consequences, a.k.a. hot wax, a.k.a. fires, a.k.a. major destruction, somebody said, you know what, we need to find something to help prevent and to preserve the things around the Christmas tree to help it to become more functional. And hence, for the very first time, what you know as a Christmas tree skirt was invented. And they would go get a cloth or a sheet, and they would take that skirt, and they would put it around the bottom of their Christmas tree, and this would be something that would hold as a little bit of a protection or something of a little bit of a, of a preserving element to the things that were under the tree. Because not only did it help collect the hot wax and made it easy to remove that, but it also collected all those dried needles that were falling, hence we call kindling, and would keep the fire risk down a little bit. But it also served in another purpose around 1879. See, in 1879, 
underneath your Christmas tree, because nobody had these artificial trees, they had these real trees, and this is more of a German culture, and they would go cut down these trees. And in 1879 is the first time it was ever recorded where people started to use these things called tree stands. And the part of a tree stand, if you've ever seen one that was back in the 70s, 80s, even early 90s, you're talking about ugly. Like these things are, I mean, I can remember my father, God rest his soul. He is no longer with us. He passed away in my younger days. But I can remember a lot of language that I'm going to choose not to use that came out of my father's mouth in trying to set up and balance and put the tree in the tree stand. And when you got done, it was like, man, this tree looks beautiful. You got all these decorations, but it's just this, like this ugly stand. And so they took some cloth and they wrap it around that tree stand to not only use protection and to preserve the things underneath it, a.k.a. the floor, but to also hide what was ugly underneath. Now I want you to think for a minute. The Christmas tree skirt, as you know it, that's become this major decorative thing, started out as a layer of protection from fire, a layer of preserving the floor and the house, and a layer of, of cleaning up what was holding a structure up that was very ugly. In fact, the reason why you put gifts underneath your tree is because of where the Christmas tree skirt started. Because as they put this cloth around the tree, and they had this kind of a, a, of just a, a protective, preserving type concept, and protecting the ugly, there was this tradition that started that people would put underneath their tree, on the tree skirt, something that would resemble the message of the Christmas tree and the greatest gift of all. And hence, Coming into this world was what you knew as the nativity set. And they would put the nativity set on the, cre- the tree skirt underneath the tree to present what would be what we call the greatest gift ever. Years later, we stopped putting nativity sets underneath the tree and we started putting other gifts under there. But it started and originated with the symbolism of what was the greatest gift of all time and a little nativity set that would be set underneath the tree on that tree skirt. See, it represented a pointing to what the real story of Christmas was all about. In fact, today, modern, you don't see many tree skirts anymore. Boy, in 2020, let me tell you, the modern trends, what? This new tree collar. How many people have got a tin bucket that you've cut the bottom out of it, or you went and bought it and you flipped that thing upside down and you put your tree in it and has this little collar and it's like, oh, it's so beautiful. Or somebody built for you a tree box that would protect underneath. But that originally all started with a tree skirt. And again, I want to tell you what the tree skirt was for. It was to protect, to persevere, and to hide the ugly. And it ended up being the main place that the nativity set was originated and put to point people to the true meaning of what Christmas was all about. And being a man of simple mind, you know what I thought? I don't know of a better thing that describes what God's church is than a tree skirt. 
You want me to tell you why we do what we do? It's because God's called us to protect. You want me to tell you why we do what we do? Because God's called us to help to persevere what's underneath. You know why we do the things that we do? It's because we're here to help try to protect and hide the ugly. And we also want to point people to the true meaning of everything in life, which is Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. And you know what we protect? Something that's very natural. Do you know the aspect of the hot wax, the aspect of the fires? In fact, if you were to go back and do a little bit of research on Christmas trees, you would really get tickled about how many people and how many fires existed during that time. In fact, you can look at it this way. Talk to somebody about how much and how many people are in the ER or how many people lose limbs or how many fires take place on the 4th of July. Because there's something that people do every 4th of July that usually increase the risk. We call them fireworks. Well, the same thing happened around the Christmas holiday before the artificial tree came in, before this aspect of the light bulb came in, which really launched itself with electricity with these Christmas lights with the aspect of the tree. But it was a very natural consequences type things. If you're going to put candles on the tree, you're going to have hot wax. You're going to have needles that fall. You're going to have things, t- things happen. You, you can't stop it. It's like that scripture I talked about. When I talked about the natural disasters that we're, we, we can have refuge and strength because of who our God is, no matter what's taking place. You know what? You can't stop it. You know what else you can't stop? The very natural, real issues that we're talking about today. That there's always going to be kids that need help. There are always going to be people that have addictions and struggles. There's always going to be this this warfare going on in our culture. And you can put your head in the sand and act like it's not going to exist. Or you can look around and you can notice and you start doing something about it to change the culture of those that's in it. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how we as a church can be that tree skirt to people's lives when the natural cause of life happens. Because if you've lived longer than 15 years, then you know what it means to hurt. You know what it means to have pain. You know what it means to be let down. You know what it means to have struggles. And you know what it means to be disappointed. And all those things are very natural and it's okay to experience them. But I want you to listen to me very carefully, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. It's just not okay to stay there. So if you have your Bibles, whether it be on your phone or on a tablet, or if you brought a paperback, turn to the great book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And I want to read for you out of God's Word what I believe is the response for us as we don't skirt around the issue, and we talk about what does it mean for us to be that protection, that preserver, that, that concept of hiding what could be ugly in people's life, end up being a stand and bring strength to what they're doing and to help them move forward. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, listen to these words and just think about how it applies to your life and mine. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, Any affection and sympathy, and if you have a paper Bible, underline these words, complete my joy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or consent or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, I believe that what we're talking about today when it comes to a tree skirt, a Christmas tree skirt, and the role of it on a Christmas tree is very symbolic to what we are as a church and what we're supposed to do to our community and the people that we love. And I think that this scripture very much sums it up. And it first starts with the aspect of of make my joy complete, and it kind of gives you a definition of what that means. It talks about being of the same mind. It talks about being of the same concept. See, the aspect that's there is, listen to me very carefully, there is something that happens when people come together with the same purpose that enlarges the ability to have an influence in that purpose. You've heard us talk about this before several, several years ago, I guess. I say several years, we're only three years old. So a couple of years ago, when we talked about the ripple effect. In fact, you're going to hear tomorrow morning at 745 on the radio, 104.1. Turn it on as you're driving to work, set your alarm, and you're going to see a very significant impact that takes place when people come together because of what you've already done for the empty stocking fund and are going to do today. But it's amazing what we can do to make God's joy complete in other people's lives when we stop getting consumed with just ourselves and we notice that there's other people in this life that are still moving forward. I want you to think back to that Christmas tree. I wonder how long it took for somebody to realize that, you know, these candles are a problem. Like, it's one of those things, it's almost hard for us to imagine in 2020 putting lit candles on our Christmas tree. I mean, like, if you, if you lived at my house, you would hear me at least once a week talking to somebody in my house. I'm not going to name any names, but it rhymes with Addison. And talk to her about, did you blow out your candles? Because she likes candles. I like candles. I just don't like lit candles. Like, candles are great, but when you put fire on them inside my house, you know what that means? That means we have a fire which is fine as long as it's monitored and has a function, but when it goes unobserved or unnoticed, it could, not always, it could become a hazard. I wonder what happened with the guy that like lit all the candles and went to bed. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, I told you, you shouldn't put flames on the Christmas tree. And so immediately they start trying to dissolve an issue or resolve an issue by turning around and figure out what they could do. And that's where, again, this whole aspect of the Christmas tree skirt came from. I wonder, I wonder, this is just, this is just me thinking up here. I wonder what it looked like if rather than talking about the problems, if we started to resolve the problems, how much more of an impact we would have in our society. Yeah, rather than just saying... Well, don't have candles. If we said, well, you know what? People are going to do that. So what can I do to lower the impact of what they're doing? See, I think a lot of times churches get into this, I call it the judgment game. We say, if you don't do this, 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 and this, your life will be a whole lot better. The problem is, is you know what people have always done? This, 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 and this. And at some, by, so at some time, rather than just trying to tell people not to do these things, eventually you got to figure out a way to how, how can I help knowing that people are going to do these things. Like rather than just telling people, listen, your life would be better if you would do this, but because I constantly see people doing it, at some point i got to sit there and go, you know what, I've got to do something about what they're doing. But I think as a church we forget about that, don't we? 
Because we'll make these comments. Well, you know, there's consequences to sin. Well, yeah. But there also should be relief from his church to it as well. That's what this scripture is talking about. It literally talks about the aspect of not only completing the joy together, not only the same mind, the same love, and other people more significant, but here's what it really means. See, the whole concept of Philippians chapter 2, the first four verses, is the concept of you looking at something, being people, that probably feel like they are worthless and adding value to their worth. Did you catch that? Like the aspect of what he's talking about to the the church in Philippi, these Philippians, is he's saying, listen, make my joy complete by doing these things and not being consumed with your own selfish consent, but to look towards others is the concept of adding value to probably people that feel valueless or worthless. Like if we were to sit down and really, really, truly get brutally honest, one of the reasons why most people skirt around the issue is because they don't feel like they're worth anything to resolve the issue or do something about it. In fact, it goes one step further if you go to James, James chapter 2. First few verses. I'm going to help some of you guys really be free. This is a part of Scripture that a lot of people have probably used in a different way to you. And I'm going to kind of hopefully enlighten you a little bit about what he means. But in James chapter 2, listen to this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says to you he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they need for their body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not include works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. See, I think the better way of, of putting that scripture, because you read that scripture and a lot of people start using that, trying to, to talk about how you have a relationship with Christ. Is your work something you do to earn a relationship with Christ, or is it by grace that you're saved by faith? And I think that's really taking that whole scripture completely out of context. I think what James was really talking about is that we all understand that it's by grace you are saved, by faith, not by any man's work so that you could boast. But the flip side of that is if you have a relationship with Christ, if you have faith, it will result in you having that faith be put to actions. Here's the way I wrote it in my notes to make it simple for you. If you knew how to swim, going to a zero entry pool and hanging out in the shallow end, talking about how great of a swimmer you are, does not show anybody that you have the ability and have the faith that you can swim. At some point, you've got to actually put into works what you say you can do, and you've got to go to the deep end where there's nothing holding you up, and you've got to show people that you have the ability to swim. I believe that our faith is the entry level into a relationship with Christ. It's how we enter into a relationship with Christ as far as salvation. But I think to dwell in his lordship means we got to get out of the shallow end, we got to get into the deep water, and we got to tread water, and we got to go to work. Like, I believe faith without action 
is not much faith. And I believe that in 2020, today's church, talking about everything they believe, without backing it up with some sort of action about why they believe it and how they are going to actually help, is not much of a church. In fact, Scripture says even the demons believe and tremble. See, having the belief that we have the answer to really help people, having a belief that we have the ability to go out and to help and meet people's needs, and just saying, oh, have you ever heard this? I am so sorry. I am so sorry to hear about that. I'm going to pray for you. Listen to me. Now, we believe in the power of prayer here. In fact, this week, if you haven't heard the story, we had a young lady that was at Vanderbilt having major gallstone issues, was getting ready to go back for a second surgery. We had the opportunity to pray over her. She went back for the second surgery. She came back in the room, and her mom had to call me immediately. She said, you got you to know, you got to know. We want to tell you this story. They went in to do the surgery the second time to remove these gallstones because of these major issues. And they went in there, and they don't know what happened, but the gallstones are gone. And we were like, I know what happened. God's people prayed. You say, well, does that happen all the time? No. But it happens more often than you think when our faith meets our actions and we allow God to do what he wants to do. Going back to this message, I believe that God's church in this aspect of praying for people, I believe God wants you to not only pray, but I think he wants you to open it up with a real aspect of action to go along with that prayer. So concerning the empty stocking fund, what does that mean? What does that mean? You got 1,200 kids in Cleveland that without your help may not have Christmas. We got people. Natural things happen in their life. Like we can look at their life right now and we can see the hurt. We can see the pain. We can see the struggles. What, what do we do about that? What, what do we do to, to make some sort of a of a dent. What do we do as a church? Well, I, I think we need to quit skirting around the issue and start being a skirt for people's lives. I think we need to start telling people, listen to me. I'm not here to change your life. That's not my job. I'm not here to save your life. That's not my job. God didn't call me to be the Savior. God didn't call me to be the Lord. But what God did call me to do is to love you so much that when you look back at what's protecting your life, what's preserving your life, what's, what's hiding the ugly, that you're going to see a little nativity set that's sitting right on top that's telling you we do this because of Jesus. We don't do this because we want you to have a relationship with Jesus. We don't do this because, well, it's what he's commanded us to do. No, we do it because what you think is worthless, we think is very valuable. We believe we're better with you. We believe that you are valuable. And we love you because you're worth loving we protect you 
because you're worth protecting. We preserve what could end up being damage in your life because you're worth preserving. And we're not wanting you to be fake, but we all get it. We all got some ugly underneath this stuff, don't we? We all got some skeletons in the closet. We're not talking about being fake and phony and acting like, oh, everything's just great. That's what I'm talking about. But you know what? If you can't, can't, if you can't come to church and find protection, if you can't come to church and have people building you up and moving you forward, if you can't come to church and find a group of people that wants to make you look more presentable and have more worth in your life, then I would tell you I wouldn't go to that church. If that church is constantly, oh, no, look what's underneath here. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm telling you, you know, they act like they're real good, but look at this. You know what I'd do? I'd run to the door as quick as I possibly could. But by golly, may it never be said of this group. We're not going to skirt around the issue. We're going to do something about it. Here's the only thing I know. The only thing I know is that doing nothing is not an option. I want each one of you to look at me. Doing nothing is not an option. His scripture is so clear. Can I put it in very simple Mount Juliet English? If you see a need and you have the ability to do something about that need, you do it. If you see hurt and you have something to relieve that hurt, you know what you do? You do it. If you see somebody that's sorrowful and struggling in life, and they're looking for answers. You help provide the answer. We call it life-giving. What would it mean for us to say, you know what? No matter what's going to come, we're going to be life-giving to our community and in our church. We will be the beginning of God's church's skirt. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.